What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. Almost everyone out there is hoping that there's some kind of return to normal by August, September. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now. And the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynn. And we're here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays to explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. I'm so excited today for us to catch up with Artie Kapoor. I've known her for a number of years. She's now an investment banker at Goldman Sachs looking after consumer businesses specifically in the areas of fitness and wellness. Artie, first of all, how are you? How are you doing amid this upside down world we're living in? Hey, Jason. Thanks so much for having me today and excited to chat about what has certainly been a very dynamic fitness industry. Um, Our hands have been full, to be honest, as I'm sure you can imagine. Our clients had a lot of scrambling to do after COVID hit, Um, but it's been a really interesting landscape. There have been deals getting done. Uh, We've seen some big shifts that I think are are here to stay, and um, we're definitely keeping folks on their toes, both on the consumer side as well as on the business side. So, um, certainly a lot to dig into today. Thanks for having me. So let me ask you this, Artie. Um, my wife goes to a very small gym, Get In Shape for Women. Uh, they're not opening till July 16th, I believe. But the, the rage seems to be these workouts at home. I read today in our business section up here in the Globe that Lululemon just invested $500 million in a company called Mira, which is a wall-mounted machine for streaming workout classes at home. Uh, will this be continue to be the trend, do you think, these workouts at home, or will people going to be back into the gyms eventually? Yeah, these are all great topics. So I think that's exactly the question that a lot of investors and clients have been asking as they sit on significant amount of dry powder, especially in the private equity world, and you know, look to make bets on what will be three to five year or even you know longer term investment horizons. And the key question is, you know, what's a, a temporary blip, and then what's the sustainable structural shift that's really here to stay? Um, well, the answer is no one knows fully because there's so many different factors that are going to impact the industry. There's the actual public health component, there are government uh, regulations and shelter-in-place mandates that are impacting businesses. There's obviously macroeconomy and, and impacts on consumer discretionary power. And then, of course, there's the consumer psyche. So there are a lot of key question marks. But what we do know is the consumer behaviors have definitely changed um, in many cases because they've had to change over the last couple months. And this, this period sustaining for as long as it has has really allowed for consumers to form new habits. So I think before COVID, we were already experiencing some sort of channel shift um, with digital fitness really picking up. And uh, with shelter-in-place orders, this channel shift has been significantly accelerated. So there will absolutely be at least a meaningful subset of consumers that continue with digital consumption of fitness, even after their, their local gyms and boutiques do open again. So 
um, it's absolutely, you know, in part going to be a more sustainable trend. Um, I think in particular, you know, there's, it's such a crowded landscape. You've got the connected fitness players like a Peloton or Mirror, and you've got streaming fitness and obviously tons of free content out there. Um, we've seen investors uh, buy into the sustainability of connected fitness in particular because you obviously have that upfront investment with a piece of equipment, and then it's a subscription-based model. So um, it's very unlikely that, that you're going to see the, the consumer back away from that sort of offering once they've taken the plunge and decided to invest in buying a mirror or buying a Peloton. Um, and you absolutely see that reflected in, in some of the performance of these companies as well. You know, Peloton's a great example because it's a public company. Um, they've seen significant stock price appreciation, which has reflected the momentum in the business. I think they're uh, trading near their 52-week high you know, in the high 50s and, and representing something like a $16 billion market cap. And keep in mind, they, you know, went public at $29 a share in September of last year. So, um, you know, definitely some great momentum on the connected fitness side. Um, and one thing I will point out is, you know, you talked about your wife, Jim. Um, gyms and boutiques are having to really change how they think about their long-term strategy as a result of digital taking off so quickly. Um, what we're hearing from a lot of our clients in brick-and-mortar fitness, whether it's um, value players or premium players, everyone's really thinking about an omni-channel strategy for the long term. Um, you know, some folks had already been working on dig- digital capabilities behind the scenes before COVID hit, and others never planned to enter digital. And overnight, when they lost 100% of their revenue, very quickly changed those plans. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it's been a lot of change, both for digital as well as brick-and-mortar guys, and really a, a tale of two growth stories. Right. So, Artie, I mean, as you look at those trends, I mean, did did the pandemic sort of accelerate it by – because this was something that was already in place, right? You know, Peloton was out there, and as you say, sort of uh, – as you alluded to at least, you know, went public at 29, sort of a little bit of a tepid response initially. They had the little ad kerfuffle around the holidays, and people were into the story, but obviously it became a totally different one when we got to – the pandemic. I mean, does this accelerate the trend by two years, five years, a year? Like, but how do you model that out? Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on uh, where you are in the market. So, um, Peloton and other connected fitness players, you know, they obviously have a, a certain TAM that might be a little bit narrower than some of the streaming fitness players, mm-hmm. where you know there's not that equipment purchase up front, and it's a slightly more affordable price point. Um, and so there's there are a couple of different factors that will impact, you know, how much acceleration took place. It's, it's the size of the TAM to begin with, um, the level of penetration that you were already at in terms of brand awareness and, um, you know, certain geographic footprints that you were already in. Um, and then, uh, you know, channels of distribution. So in some cases, uh, some of these businesses are direct to consumer. And so they have a more direct brand awareness and they can see that response from consumers very quickly, um, right. pretty much overnight. From COVID hit, you could buy a Peloton very quickly, but some of the others are actually working um, with a B2B model. So it takes a little more time for corporations and governments to say, hey, we need this for our employees um, to make sure that they're productive working from home. And so that acceleration takes um, a little bit longer. Um, so it's really a number of, of different factors, but um you know, absolutely a, a trend that was already in play and absolutely accelerated by COVID, um, not just with, you know, existing customers spending more and using these offerings more, but um, the cost of customer acquisition for new customers has gone down materially. 
um, A, because a lot of consumers don't have any other choice, and B, right. because um, the cost of advertising has gone down a lot. So um, really, these digital fitness players are in their heyday right now. It's been a great confluence of events. Unfortunately, broader circumstances are tougher, but it's been great for them. Artie, I love the way you simplified it, brick and mortar versus digital, because this uh, saves me from running down 10 different names of brick and mortar uh, workout uh, gyms. So who survives in the brick and mortar business and why? Uh, anybody who's done any research about and has any fears about going into a big gym knows about droplets and can stay in the air for three hours or so because people are breathing hotter and it's a warmer atmosphere. Um, do they move their uh, spin cycles outside? Uh, do they move their equipment outside? How do the brick, which, which if any at all, the brick and mortars survive this uh, pandemic? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so a couple of things. All brick-and-mortar segments will absolutely be impacted, right? Everyone needs to follow new regulations. Everyone needs to spend more on sanitizing, hygiene, um, labor to make sure that there's you know cleaning measures in place, um, signage, et cetera. Everyone needs to restrict capacity and, and throughput to some extent. So there's no business that's unaffected, but um, there are certain segments that are definitely better positioned than others. So if you were to break down the brick-and-mortar industry in a couple segments just oversimplify you've got the value players like a planet fitness you've got the premium players like an equinox or lifetime you've got mid-tier folks like a 24-hour gold gym and then you've got the boutique players that are mostly a la carte models and class-based group fitness um going through those couple segments hvlp is actually seen as very well positioned they've got an affordable price point so they're less susceptible to macro pressures they've recurring revenue model which by the way makes canceling and rejoining pretty economically unattractive. Um, and what they have working in their favor as well is pretty large box sizes that actually allow for proper implementation right. of social distancing measures. Um, so you look at someone like Planet, you know, their stock price has been actually fairly resilient, say, versus franchisers in a restaurant space. And in fact, they had filed an 8K at the beginning of uh, June, um, talking about their, their reopenings and, and some of the early data. And they saw, you know, folks weren't trading down from their black card membership. Um, the, the cancellations were being offset by new joins. Um, so they had some pretty uh, uh, healthy data for the reopening. So HLP, I think, is pretty well positioned. And then premium folks, they similarly benefit from recurring revenue and large box sizes that allow for social distancing. And, and in this case, with the premium folks, they also have the added benefit of uh, multi-person memberships. So you have couples or families, and you see a lot more stickiness that comes from community engagement. So those two um, are definitely well positioned. I think where we run into slightly more challenging dynamics would be in um, the boutique fitness segment. Uh, you have an interesting phenomenon. You know, on one hand, um, this is where we saw some of the strongest brands, the best unit economics, et cetera. But um, with a la carte models, you don't have recurring revenue. And then most importantly, you've really small size boxes with high density of consumers. And so, you know, the highest perceived risk Um in terms of, uh, you know, COVID impact. And so these guys can certainly open their doors, but they're going to face significant capacity constraints versus the status quo and see probably the greatest delta in their unit economics. So um, I think this is where we'll see, you know, challenges for the foreseeable future. And then, of course, the mid-tier health clubs, which are already under pressure last year, so someone like a gold or 24-hour where they've been under liquidity pressure for, for you know, years now and right. um, have filed for bankruptcy and are pursuing financial restructuring. So it's a simple way of the land, as I'd say, HVLP like Planet and then the premium health clubs like a lifetime are probably best positioned for the foreseeable future.
So, Artie, let's go a little bit deeper on boutiques because it's an area that's very close to the hearts of of me and you. We talk to these folks all the time. Rick Stolmeyer was on this pod five, six weeks ago. He was saying from MindBody that 25% at least of boutiques could just go out of business. What do you make of that? What do you hear from the boutique owners? So it's a, it's a big number that could go out of business, unfortunately, and it's a pretty believable number. We've heard that uh, same estimation come from a number of management teams um, across the industry. And I think the reason it's so believable that such a significant part of the industry could go away is because um, there are a number of players that just don't have a backstop in terms of you know capital cushion or institutional funding. Um, the vast majority of this industry is it's very fragmented and owned by mom and pop. Um, you know, small private owners versus large institutional players. So um, these guys have to close their doors. They lost almost you know 100 percent or or 100% of their revenue overnight. Um, when they reopen, if they reopen, they're going to have half of the number of consumers. They're going to have higher expenses running through their P&L, and in many cases, didn't have the margin to give away in the first place. So it's unfortunately um, there's going to be a lot of impact on cash flow for these businesses and. Um, many will reopen only temporarily or not at all. Um, the, where you will see businesses survive uh, would be, you know, the scaled players. So someone like a Barry's who's backed by North Castle or Core Power backed by TSG or Exponential Fitness. Um, they have the benefits of scale. Um, in many cases, they have some of the most attractive unit economics. But most importantly, they have institutional capital to help them get through this period. Um so it's it's a challenging dynamic for boutiques. That I think um, you know the combination of a la carte and these small box sizes, as we mentioned, plus the fact that it is so fragmented, um, really is it presents a challenge for the industry. Now, some would say that um, the industry was a little bit overcrowded to begin right. with. Um, it's very saturated, and when you think about barriers to entry, they were probably the lowest in boutiques because you just need a couple thousand square feet and a couple hundred thousand dollars to open a studio and. You know, build it and they will come in the prior environment. So um, there's probably some element of streamlining that needed to take place in the industry, but it's um, an unfortunate challenge that, that we're facing given the current circumstances. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Hardy, going forward in 2020 in this new decade right here, will most of the new business come from digital, do you think, versus brick and mortar? What I do know is that all players in the industry will be planning for having a digital strategy. Um, you know, many, many of our clients never plan to enter digital, and they are absolutely now planning for digital being a core part of their strategy. Um, the long-term business mix, I think, is still to be determined because it's, it's um, a lot of these companies are still trying to figure out the role that digital fitness will play in their strategy. Um, for some of these boutiques, they're just looking at, at the digital as a way to recoup some of their lost revenue during this period, but believe that you know, when public health developments allow for it, i.e. a vaccine comes out, that, you know, their model will go back to being mostly brick and mortar. Um, others are actually creating digital as a, a much bigger part of their business where they plan to roll it up as part of the membership bundle for the long term. 
um, or, you know, plan to actually pivot their business model and make most of their revenue through digital and just have a couple of brick-and-mortar locations for brand-building purposes. So I think it really depends on, on where these uh, businesses decide to take their strategy and then also how consumer psyche evolves. Um, you know, it's interesting. Consumers, the, the data so far from reopenings would show that consumers are very eager to get back into the gym in terms of traffic levels, et cetera. But, um, you know, it's hard to tell what happens if there's a second wave or how sustainable is that return when there's, uh, you know, some sort of outbreak in a gym. And so um, it's very it's very early on in the reopening game, and it's hard to tell what the interplay is going to be. Um, but we know that consumers have absolutely developed some new habits during this time period and for a subset of consumers that will absolutely stick. So digital, uh, without a doubt, will be a bigger part of the industry um, than anyone thought it would be in the next couple of years. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. So, Artie, just widening the aperture a, a little bit, because I know you also look at the broader wellness space. I feel like this pandemic has been to some extent, you know, kind of a tale of two approaches where you have, you know, the dreaded kind of COVID-15 and people talking about, you know, kind of hunkering in and eating a bunch of comfort food and not exercising. And then on the other side, and you talked about some of these numbers with Peloton and Mirror and others, you do have, you know, demand really high for for at-home fitness. How do you sort of synthesize all of that, especially in this kind of broader wellness movement that you and I have been talking about together for for years and this sort of trend toward a generally healthier lifestyle? What do you make of this this moment? If anything will get consumers to focus more on their health, it's a global pandemic that's very contagious and doesn't spare any segment of society. Um, we talked about how fitness is booming, um, but consumers have absolutely accelerated their focus on other parts of the wellness equation, such as nutrition, mental wellness, sleep, and other ancillary categories. We see signs of a more nutrition-conscious consumer in the data. Um, there are multiple categories of nutrition, but looking at something like BMS, which is vitamins, minerals, and supplements, um, we can get a lot of good public data um, through CPG companies in the category, and that's a great proxy for consumer trends. Um, and the punchline is consumers are spending more on VMS as a whole and most on the immunity category in particular. And this is actually a globally observable phenomenon, just not just in the U.S. Um, in the U.S. market, a recent study uh, by the consulting firm LEK actually showed that consumers have been reporting a 15% increase in spending on VMS since the outbreak. Hmm. And unsurprisingly, within this, immunity really has been the fastest growing. Um, and, uh, in, you know, immunity products are supposed to grow something like 25% this year when they were in the single-digit percentage growth bucket last year. And similarly in Asia, an analysis of China's recovery post-COVID has shown strong evidence of increasing demand in VMS. Um, Alibaba's VMS uh, category grew something like 30% in Q1, 
um, and, and immunity grew 60% year over year in Q1. So um, really consistent story across the board. Same thing if you were to look at a, a European player like Reckitt, Thank you there and um, others in like you know, Unilever, et cetera. So there, there are, there's a lot of good data on consumers spending more on VMS and then immunity in particular. And I think um, going back to the question of you know, blip or sustainable, it's hard to unlearn things that you learn about your health. So right. I would absolutely anticipate that once folks start to take care of themselves, to the extent that they can they can continue to do so, um, you know they will, and and so I think that's here to stay. And then on the mental wellness front, um, we've obviously seen an uptick in growth there. Uh, I think we all know there's been no dearth of stress during the pandemic, um, you know, from implications on health and safety to you know financial security, and of course all the interpersonal dynamics we've been hearing about in the household. So um, it, consumers absolutely need an outlet on the mental wellness side, and. Um, on the B2C front, consumer usage of many wellness apps has spiked pretty materially. Um, we all know Calm, one of the leaders in the digital meditation space. Um, they just reported their highest ever daily active user number, exceeding 4.5 million um, last month in, in mid-June. Similarly, uh, the competitor Headspace has benefited from Tailwinds um, and upsides at Series C round and raised another $50 million last month as well. Um, and then we're, we're seeing tons on the B2B front. Um, I think, you know, right here in New York, um, Cuomo announced that the government had teamed up with Headspace to provide mental wellness resources to New Yorkers. So um, all across the board, there's definitely an increased focus both on, you know, nutrition as well as just taking care of yourself from a mental wellness standpoint. To me, that's very interesting, the mental health, because I hear it all the time. I'm depressed. I'm on antidepressant right now. And it's sort of an amorphous part of this whole pandemic that's been going on right now. Do you actually see facilities opening up? other than just going to your doctor and asking for a, a antidepressant or going <clears throat> and talking to a therapist, uh, facilities for mental health? You know, I think mental health uh, will probably be best served through digital offerings. Um, a couple of reasons. So first of all, um, it's a very, you know, private, personal matter. And so when you think about the, the purpose that facilities, physical facilities have served in, in something like fitness, it's really about community and engaging with others while you're working out. For mental wellness, it's more of a personal journey. Um, so that's actually pretty well served in terms of um, you know, the digital channel. I'd also point out that um, there are a number of digital players that are really just trying to make mental wellness more accessible, either in terms of making breaking it down and making it easy to start your journey or making it more financially accessible. Someone like a talk space is trying to really democratize mental wellness and make something, you know, therapy, which is normally pretty unaffordable for a lot of the population, you know, making that accessible from a, a dollar standpoint. So I think um, the digital solutions have shown that they can they can address something that's personal in someone's own space on their own time. Um, they can make it easy and simplify. And, you know, you, like you said, it's a complicated, amorphous segment of um, the wellness industry. They can help to really simplify that and demystify it. Um, so all these things put together, I think digital will probably take off more than physical facilities. But, of course, there are you know, a handful of meditation studios and others out there that have um, certainly done well. But I think digital will probably be the, the prevalent channel for this segment of the industry long term. So, Artie, I want to wrap up by asking you a, a more personal question, because when you and I uh, first met and I was working on my book, Sweat Equity, in which you feature uh, quite prominently, you actually kick off the entire book. I mean, 
your whole approach to this was a very personal one. I mean, it was driven by some of your personal interests. I wonder how you've been doing sort of through all this, how your own routines around fitness and, and wellness have changed. Absolutely. Uh, personal, um, professional passion of mine. I, I love the health and wellness space and absolutely got into it just through my own journey. Um, it's been interesting to see. I, I think, again, I've been a case study of how the consumers have to evolve. Um, as you know, Jason, I was a big boutique fitness goer, um, you know, went to SoulCycle multiple times a week and um, had my whole uh, in-person lineup decided for every week that was um, pretty regular and uh, spent a ton of money on the boutique fitness category. Never thought I'd be a digital fitness user. And then I left the city and you know, fled in March, haven't been there for four months and had to figure out something to do in the interim. So I tried a bunch of digital fitness offerings and... Uh, had tried some uh, free trials, then ended up going to a paid monthly user and actually just upgraded one of my memberships to an annual membership. So um, I have definitely been a, a great case study, again, of how the consumers had to change. Um, and, you know, on the VMS and, and, you know, all the other categories, have I increased my immunity supplements for sure? Am yeah. I taking care of myself with sleeping more um, and staying at home? And, and working from home has definitely helped with that. But um, absolutely have, have been a case study of all of these changes. And I think what's going to be interesting is trying to figure out when all of these institutions reopen, when I have the ability to potentially go back to all of my quote-unquote old habits, what do I ultimately decide to do and you know, how sticky have these changes been? Well, it's great to catch up with you. As I said at the time uh, when the book came out, you were my Rosetta Stone in understanding all of these trends. You continue to be so. I feel like uh, we all got a lot smarter just listening to you uh, break it down. As always, Goldman Sachs' Artie Kapoor looking at all things fitness and wellness. Really good to hear your voice. Stay well amid all of this craziness. Thank you. Stay well. Talk to you. And you can catch our podcast right here every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I'm Jason Kelly. Find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me on Twitter at LynchyWCVB. And you're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.